Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I would posit this to us this morning on this Confirmation Sunday, that being a Christian means being rooted. It means being rooted in the soil of resurrection and then bearing the fruits of Easter. Well, today we have 19. 19, this is a big group. 19 of our eighth graders affirming their baptism, confessing your faith in the risen Lord Jesus. And that means in just a few moments you're going to stand up here in front of God and all and declare your intention to abide in Him the same way He abides in you. That's no small thing. But it ain't just about you guys today, all right? I think today is an occasion for every last one of us to consider what it means to be branches in this vine called the church, Jesus' body in the world. So, the question, what does it mean to abide in? To abide in. I think we could translate that most effectively by simply saying, stay connected to. To abide in means to stay connected to. And if we read it that way, we could read Jesus' words this way. I'm the true vine, my father's the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. And every fruit branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more. You've already been cleansed by the word I've spoken to you. Now stay connected to me. The same way I'm connected to you. Just as a branch can't bear fruit unless it stays connected to the vine, neither can you unless you stay connected to me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who stay connected to me and bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. But whoever does not stay connected to me, they get thrown away like a branch that withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you stay connected to me, and if my words flow through you, ask for what you wish and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. I like that. Stay connected to, stay a part of, stay connected to the source of your life so that you can share that same life with the people around you. I wonder how it is that we can stay connected to the source of our life. Beth mentioned some of those ways in her little message to you just moments ago. I think it's the same as staying connected in any relationship that you have, right? How do you stay connected to a friend? Well, conversation and presence are two biggies, right? Regularly and be in conversation with that one and then being in that one's presence. Prayer, service, worship, all of those things that can keep us connected to the source of our life. But what I really like here is Jesus' example of vines, branches, trees, and trunks. Back when I was serving a congregation in a place called Hayfield, Minnesota, it's down south of Rochester, Minnesota, in the southeast bluff country of that state, I had the opportunity to buy 40 acres of woods. And that 40 acres was adjacent to the farm that my mom grew up on. So when I heard that the, the guy who lived next door had the farm next door was considering selling off his woods, I didn't wait till it hit the market. I got down there and I talked to that guy and we made a deal on the spot. And those 40 acres for several years then became my destination every fall for deer hunting, okay? Now those 40 acres of woods were the typical southeast Minnesota bluff country mix 
of hardwoods. So there was a lot of white oak, red oak, maple, the few walnut trees that the loggers hadn't gotten to yet, ironwood, things like that. And the problem was in my, well, when I tried to deer hunt these woods, and it was always a trial for me because the best places to put my stands were where the oldest parts of the woods met the newest parts of the woods, the part that had recently been logged before I bought it. It was where the big white oak trees, the mature ones, dropped their acorns near the brambles and the undergrowth, the raspberry bushes where the deer liked to bed up. The problem was to get to my stands, I had to walk through the oldest parts of that woods. And in the oldest part, there was no undergrowth, so there was nothing to mask my movement. And besides that, the trees were meters apart and very, very tall. Okay, because they were all old, mature trees. And that meant that, that the forest floor in that area that I had to walk through was absolutely littered with dead branches and sticks that had fallen off those big, mature trees. And every time I'd take a step in that part of the woods, <laughs> crunch, crackle, pop. I mean, the, every self-respecting deer in the county knew I was walking through my woods. So that meant that in the fall, in the late summer, when I'd go to set up my stands, I had to also take a chainsaw and a rake with me, and I'd make these paths through the old part of the forest so I could be sneaky, get to my stands without any deer hearing me. Now, the lesson that my little 40 acres of woods taught me goes way beyond outsmarting deer, and it's this. Those trees in the oldest parts of my woods were mature, tall, multi-fork, and made for a very dense for, uh, forest canopy, very high forest canopy. And as those trees competed with each other for nutrients, for light, for sunlight, you know, that gave the trees growth, they would slough off all the lower branches that didn't get to the sun. They would just stop sending nutrients to them, and they'd fall. They were dead, dead by all accounts. The trees were too busy sending the power they needed up high to where they were exposed to the sun, okay, and where they could get power. Those lower dead branches were dead ends as long as they remain attached to those trees because they took valuable energy away from the more necessary branches that were busy making leaves and seeds, creating new life. Now, a good forester might have gone in and pruned some of those trees, especially if they wanted good trees for logging later on. But these trees had the misfortune of belonging to me. <laughs> and I had neither the time nor the inclination to go down there and prune trees, right? So the wind had to take care of it. And it did. It knocked those dead branches off those trees constantly. And I had to move them away, out of my way. Now, what's most amazing to me is that even without a dresser, even without a pruner, even without a conscientious forester, those trees were smart enough in their own biological systems to prune themselves, okay? To slough off the dead, nutrient-sucking branches and simply cease sending energy to them, and then the wind would blow them away. Now, maybe this is one of the tree's most valuable lessons for us. Maybe it's also grounds that 
There's a good argument that trees are a lot smarter than we are <laughs> because they actually know what to get rid of. Hmm? What gives them life and what sucks life from it. I don't know about y'all, but I, on the other hand, am too often a different story. Letting things cling to me, stick to me, suck energy out of me that don't give me life, but instead take energy away from me that could have been spent doing something else. Things like old grudges and resentments that keep me locked in anger. New wants and desires that are always keeping me blind to what I already have or to what my neighbor desperately needs. Silly ambitions that have a whole lot less to do with God's will for me than my own pride. When I stop and think of all the energy, all the time, so much life spent on those things that can virtually empty us from any ability whatsoever then to spend ourselves on the most important things in this life. And that is the people. It's the people into which God has put you in relationship to. The people who care about you. And maybe a pruning is sometimes in order then, huh? And I know that that can scare the living crud out of us. It does me. Because all these things that I spend so much time basing my identity on, you know, my stuff, or what I do, my job, or my power, my pride, my reputation, those things can so easily become withering branches, just taking life from me. You know, whenever I read this story, these words of Jesus that you heard today in the gospel lesson from John 15 about branches and vines and stuff, I always think about my grandma's rose bush. And if any of you have heard this before, don't stop me. <laughs> it's the only, the only thing I got to say right now, okay? But my grandma, who lived on the farm right next to those woods that I ended up buying, way back in the day, she lived on the farm next door, and she had in her yard this impossibly huge, huge rose bush. It stood about this high, and it was about this big around, okay? And every year it produced these big pink roses. They were almost as big as softballs all over this bush. And it was the type of bush that I learned early on in going down to grandma's house, don't ever hit a baseball into grandma's rose bush. Never, never. Not because grandma would get mad. She'd probably stand in the window and laugh because then we'd have to figure out how we're going to get that ball out of there without taking every bit of flesh off our arms and hands. But one, I remember when I was little, going down there, I, I must have been nine years old or so. And when I got down to the farm, I found out my uncle, Searle, had pruned that rose bush all the way down to about that far off the ground. It was just about that big around and about a foot high. And I said to my uncle, Searle, why did you kill grandma's rose bush? And he says, we didn't kill it. We pruned it. And what the heck does that mean? I, I, when I hear prune, I thought of prune juice, you know, like grandma drank and once in a while, you know, to keep herself regular, right? I said, what do you mean you pruned it? And he said, we cut it back because it wasn't, there were a lot of dead branches in there and it wasn't producing the roses that it usually did. So we cut it down. He said, you watch. A few years, that thing will have more roses on it than you've ever seen. True enough, by the time I got out of high school, that bush was huge again and it had these beautiful pink roses all over it. What appeared to me at first to be its death, the cutting back of it, 
was actually the thing that made its future possible and gave it a life again, the way it was intended to produce those roses. Now, if you've had any science or physics classes yet, the teacher, you, you will in high school for sure, but what you will learn is that within any system, energy is finite. Within any system, energy is finite. There's only so much of it to go around. Okay? The question is, what are you going to do with yours? What are you going to do with yours? Will you put it into life-sucking dead ends? Or will your energy be spent on people for love? You know, Jesus said there's only really two things you got to do in this life to wring the most out of it. Love God and then love people, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm? But what should really interest us as Christians isn't so much what Jesus said as what he did. He let himself be pruned back, cut back, to the point that every single thought and every single action was tuned to one purpose, and that purpose is you, all of his children. And it was shown most fully in that final pruning when Jesus is hanging on a cross, and he manages to say those three words that are our salvation. He said, Father, forgive them. He loved us anyway, even though we put him there. And that's it. I reckon. This is what it means to be a person of mature faith, a disciple. If you belong to Jesus, and you do, and you are rooted in the soil of resurrection, and you are, then your life will now grow to look something like his, bearing the fruits of Easter by letting yourself be pruned back to that one essential thing of finding other lives in which to invest your life. Sit. Like John said in that first letter that Laura read moments ago up here, as he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we now in this world. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of the pruning, of the cutting back. That same letter of John said, where there is love, there is no fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Don't be afraid of it. Every one of you guys right up here have been loved by mothers or fathers, my siblings, teachers, good friends, neighbors, albeit in an imperfect way. You know it. We know it. Sometimes we haven't been as patient with you as we could have been or as compassionate to you as we should have been. But we've loved you imperfectly. But you know this, that the one who made you has loved you perfectly. And he's placed inside of you a heart for loving other people, just enough love, just enough for God and for people. Use it right. Don't waste it on dead ends. And so all of us, we go out and we love. Huh? And if we find ourselves becoming trapped by life-taking passions, don't be afraid to prune as necessary. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.